Well, good morning. Glad you could be with us here at Fellowship Bible Church. And, and um, I think this is our, our third month of, uh, of actually meeting face-to-face -face, uh, in person. So um, we are glad to be doing that um, in these crazy days. So um, we're studying the book of Romans. And uh, we're in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to tell you about Rose Crawford. Rose was uh, born in the province of Ontario, Canada. And when she was four years old, tragedy struck. She contracted two different strains of the measles. A little four-year-old Rose was left totally blind. And for the next 50 years, she lived in darkness. And then she heard about a procedure, a surgical procedure that had been perfected that would, um, had great success in alleviating, alleviating the type of blindness that she had, the, 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 the cause of the, the blindness that she had. She inquired of it, and at age 54, she undertook the surgery, and it was successful. The doctor was there when he took off the bandages, uh, rose, um, begin to see and squint, and then she said, I can't believe it. And then the rest of her words were choked out as she just sobbed and wept with joy. That's kind of a bittersweet story because you see the procedure, the surgical procedure that Rose undertook at age 54 had actually been perfected a couple of decades earlier. She didn't know it. And so for 20 years of her life, she continued to live with her blindness, with her, the condition, because she just was unaware that this surgical procedure had been perfected. The doctor who was interviewed in the local paper about Rose, he just said, you know, Rose just figured there was nothing that could be done for her condition. And then he added, sadly, much of her life could have been so different. Have you ever considered how life would be different for you if you would just know the truth of God's Word that you might not know? You don't know what we don't know, and, and would life be different if we knew the truth of God's Word? Not, not truth that is yet to be revealed, but truth that has already been revealed. Could my life be different if I just knew what God's Word had said? Now, we're studying the book of Romans, and God has given us in the book of Romans some extremely important truth. And I dare say that it's truth that whenever we come to understand it, can profoundly impact how we live this side of heaven. And that the sooner we come to understand it, the sooner we begin to live that life. Um, last week we talked about, as we got into Romans chapter 1, uh, chapter 6 starting in verse 1, we talked about this principle of identification. That Romans chapter 6 begins to tell us about our new identity in Christ. That the moment we trusted Christ as our Savior, something radically changed. Something was radically altered. We got a new identity. The moment we trusted Christ, we were immersed or baptized, identified fully with 
Jesus Christ. It was as if when he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he was raised to newness of life, we were somehow hidden in Christ. And when he was raised to life, so were we. The moment we trusted Christ as our Savior, we were radically altered with a new identity. Now we start out life in the in Adam sphere. We talked about this last week. In our first birth, we're born in sin. Everybody born in this world is born with a, a, a propensity and actually a nature, a sin nature, um, to move away from God, not to move towards God. Everybody born in this world is born in sin, and immediately, right out of the starting gate, we got strikes against us because we're born sinners headed for hell. But the moment we trusted Christ as our personal Savior, all that changed. In the moment of faith, now if, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I hope you all are, there was a time in your life that someone shared with you the good news about Jesus. Might have been in a vacation Bible school program or a children's program. It could have been in a youth group or a camp or, or sitting in church or, or a, a loved one, a, a, a parent or a grandparent, somebody or maybe it was just like my wife. She was just reading the Bible as a 17-year-old high school senior, overcome with the guilt of her own sin. And she opened up that big Catholic family Bible, and boom, the picture opened up of Jesus on, on the cross. And under the captions, under that, uh, that picture were the captions, the words, Jesus died for your sins. And sitting in her home, it just, all alone, 17-year-old girl, it just hit her like a a tuba for across the head. Jesus died for me. And right then, she trusted Christ as her personal Savior. Somewhere along your journey, you understood the good news that Jesus paid for your sins, and your only way to heaven was to trust Him. He died, He rose again. And in that moment of faith, the Bible says something wonderful happens. You move from the in Adam circle to the in Christ spiritual sphere. Because there's only those two. At the moment of faith, we are immersed into, baptized, placed into Jesus Christ, fully identifying so that when he died, it's as if we died. He was raised to newness of life, so were we. And so there are these two wonderful truths in the beginning and the opening of Romans chapter 6 that we have to come to and embrace and not be ignorant of. And that first truth is that we've died to sin. Verse 1 of Chapter 6 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. How shall we who have died to sin continue to live in it? And death being that concept of being totally separated from. God, the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, God, as it were, takes his spiritual surgical scalpel and he slices us off from that old sin nature. We are separated from that reign of sin. King sin no longer has a hold on us. It ain't going to reign no more. Sin has been separated from us. The dominion and domination and power of sin. How shall we who have died to sin continue to live in it? The old sin nature has no claim on us anymore. It is impossible because of our identification with Christ, our new identity. We're in a different realm. 
Did you hear, by the way, this week uh, about uh, the crazy stuff that goes on in California? Here's another one to add to the crazy list. Some of you who have been born and raised in California, um, the legislature there is uh, now proposing to tax people who move away from California. Did you read this? Yep. So you can move, say, to Nebraska, the good life, God's country, out of California, but now, now they're proposing, they're now proposing that if you move away, they'll still tax you for the next 10 years. The first year, it'll be at 90% taxation. And then the second year you live in Nebraska, it'll be an 80% California tax you'll have to pay. And the next year, 70% for 10 years. Now, it's not going to fly. Because when you move out of California, they no longer have a jurisdiction over you. You get that tax bill? Because I don't live there anymore. I'm not going to pay taxes in California. I don't live there. You have no jurisdiction over me. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, the moment we were placed in Christ because of our faith in Him, we trusted Him as our Savior, the dominion of sin, King sin, ain't going to reign no more. We have died to sin, to that principle of sin. Now you say, wait a minute, hold it. If all of this is true, why does my life sometimes still stink the stench of sin? Why do I still sin? And hang on, that's Romans 7. There, we'll get there. There's a divine order in the teaching of the Apostle Paul and our divine inspiration, and there's an order uh, to the teaching. So in Romans chapter 6 right now, this is truth that he's calling us to um, affirm or embrace as true. These are truthful facts about what happened to a believer when we died. We get to Romans 7, there's going to be truth that we're going to have to admit. Yeah, I still sin, and the Apostle Paul said it this way, the good I, I want to do, I don't. I do the very thing I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, what's going on? I don't want to live this way. I still feel enslaved to sin, and there's, we still have to admit that sin is still there. Now, I think it was Jonathan Wesley a couple hundred years ago said, remember, sin still remains, though it no longer reigns. Sin remains, but it no longer reigns. Paul said, how shall we who have died to sin, see, sin doesn't die, how shall we who, we who have died to sin continue to live in it? We've been separated from it. So chapter 6 is truth we have to affirm. Chapter 7 is truth that we have to continue to admit. And then we get to Romans chapter 8, and it's truth that we have to allow into our life. And that is the control of the Holy Spirit. You realize that the, the, the concept of the Holy Spirit, I think, is only mentioned once or twice in Romans 1 through 7. And you get to Romans chapter 8, 19 times the Holy Spirit is, is referred to. So Romans chapter 8, there's a whole lot of good stuff about the Holy Spirit and how we must allow His control in our life to make this thing all work. Truth to affirm, truth to admit, and truth to allow. So the first great truth that we have to understand is we as believers in Jesus Christ have been separated from king sin through Jesus Christ. 
There's a second truth, though, because you see, that first one is only half the story. The second great truth is that we not only have died to sin, but we have been raised up to newness of life with Christ. We've been raised up to newness of life with Christ. So verse 3 says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, that is, identified with Him, jumped from the in-Adam sphere to the in-Christ sphere? Do you not know that we have also um, uh, have been baptized into His death? And verse 4 says, therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. It's a package deal. The moment we trust Christ, we are identified with Jesus Christ. What was true of Jesus is true of us. When he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. And when he was raised to life, we were too. Because it's a, you can't separate this. It's a package deal. We've been made alive with Christ. Our salvation involved not just something taken away from us, our old sin nature, it involves something that was given to us, a completely new nature. The life of Christ living within us, the very life of Christ himself. When we trusted Christ as our Savior, we became something that we never were before. Radically transformed. And that's what it means to be born again. That's our second birth, when we jumped out of the by God's grace, out of the in-Adam circle that we found ourselves in, in our first birth, to the in-Christ circle at our second birth. We've been completely changed. Theologians call that regeneration. We've been born again, new creations in Christ. God exchanges our old spiritual dead person for a new spiritual alive person. The old you is dead the new you is alive. Sin's domination and reign, king sin, has been cut off from us. That old nature is gone. At the moment of faith, we have union with Christ. What's true of Jesus is true of us. We don't have to live in defeat because Jesus has brought about spiritual victory. You see, it's not just what we know that can hurt us, it's what we don't know sometimes. And this is truth that we have to embrace. We have to admit the truthfulness and affirm it. We don't have to live like we once did because we're not the people we once were. And that's the great truth. Paul said it this way. If you go over to Colossians chapter 3, just for a moment. Colossians chapter 3, he says the same thing just a little differently, verse 1, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, well, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. Verse 3, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Look at verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality and impurity and passion and evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. It is because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 7 says, And in them you two all once formerly walked when you were living in them. 
But now you also put them all aside, anger and wrath and malice and slander and abuse of speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Verse 10 says, and you've put on the new self that is being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You see Paul's kind of logical thinking here? We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We were raised to newness of life with him. Our life is hidden with him. So therefore, why, why is there still, you know, um, impurity and passion and evil desire and greed? That's just idolatry. Remember we said, I mentioned last week, you want to know what a Christian's capable of doing? Read everything in the Bible that it tells us not to do? Gives you a pretty good idea of what you're capable of doing. And me too. Put them all aside, verse 8. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. It's like, what, why would you do that? I just, you know, blew up at the whatever, at the person driving in front of me, the idiot. Do you realize how many idiot drivers there are in this world? Where did that come from? Malice, anger, abusive speech. Why would you do that? But the Apostle Paul says, you've, you've laid aside the old self. You've put on the new self. You're not the same person you once were, so why do you do the things that were still part of the old you? We're new. We don't have to live like we once did because we're not the people we once were, okay? Again, I still sin, right? We still struggle with this stuff. And again, that's Romans chapter 7. Right now, Paul is establishing the fact that sin's dominating reign has been broken. We have died to sin. Unfortunately, it, it could be still so much a part of who we are and our own self-identity. It, sin's we, we so oftentimes accept it as normal. When I was in high school, I read a book by Watchman Nee uh, entitled The Normal Christian Life. And he was talking about some of these things in Romans chapter 6. The nor What's the normal Christian life? It's a life that's free of that. I mean, I want to be careful when I say this, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, we don't have to sin. Now, I'm not talking about we will achieve sinless perfectionism. There's a kind of an, an aberrant doctrinal belief that that's in some circles that Christians arrive at a place of perfectionism. In fact, when I was a young pastor back in Nebraska, we were having a pastoral meeting with some of the other clergy in the, in the, in the county, and I met this one guy from another uh, tradition, uh, mainline Protestant tradition, and uh, he told us that he had trusted Christ when he was at such and such an age, but later in his life, he received the fullness of the Holy Spirit and achieved the level of sinless perfectionism. That's the first time I'd heard of that. I said, what? Tell me that. Say that again. Yes, yeah, he had arrived at some point in his life and achieved a status of sinless perfectionism. And I was just absolutely stupefied. I said, could I have five minutes with your wife? 
No, we're not talking about that. But we are saying that sin's dominating power, we've been severed from that. It ain't going to rain no more. It's abnormal. Um, I was also taught, I, I was taught this in seminary, that our old sin nature still is there. And so I have a new nature and I have this old nature. And the illustration was it's like two dogs that, you know, and you got a, the good dog and the bad dog. And, the, you know, whoever dominates is the one you're going to feed the most. So get in there in Bible study and do this and do that so you can feed the good dog so it'll dominate the old dog. It's no more taught in the Scripture. We're not some type of spiritual schizophrenic, uh, uh, you know, some bifurcated person with two natures in us. No, Bible does not teach that. The moment we trust Christ as our personal Savior, the, it's out with the old and in with the new. We have a new nature. We've been raised up to newness of life with Christ. Now, this is all talking about the, the fact of our identification with Christ. Starting in verse 6, Paul is going to talk a little bit about the impact of these facts. So verse 6 says, knowing this, Knowing this, and then he repeats himself, that our old self was crucified with him, and or that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. So in verse 6, Paul reaffirms this, this fact, our old self was crucified with Christ. When Jesus was crucified, that old self was crucified. We've got to know that. And what's the impact of that? fact in order that he says our body of sin might be done away with if you have an old king james version it says destroyed it's not really what the word means but it's 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 done away with you see there's two entities being spoken here there is our old self and there is the body of sin they're two separate things the old self, that old sin nature, that old me in Adam, it's dead, buried, and gone. I'm a new creation in Christ. It is gone. There are two separate entities. But the body of sin is still very much present. You're looking at it. I think he's talking about our physical bodies. You see, again, the moment we trusted Christ as our personal Savior... The inner you, the real you, the spirit you, was born again, transferred into the in Christ identification circle. But that old you, or that now new you, is encased in an earth suit, this body of sin, he calls it. The old man is crucified, that spiritual entity, so that now in order that, the body of sin can be done away with. And the word literally implies or means the concept of, of uh, rendered powerless, neutralized. It, it, it has the plug pulled on it. It's rendered ineffective and powerless. That, that body of sin, our physical bodies that are not inherently evil in and of themselves, but they become, now listen, they become the vehicle they become the, 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 the instrument through which sin still works. 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life. We read that, just read that in Colossians, or Colossians 3. The members of my body. I get tired. I get worn out. And all of a sudden, the, the lusts, of the, the, the deep desires want me to be complacent. I don't have time to nurture my relationship with them. I just, I'm just tired, or I, I need to, or I'm, I'm hungry. And, and so, I, you know, food can all of a sudden become an idol. Sexual uh, lusts, sexual uh, um, temptations, the lusts of the body. This body of sin needs to be neutralized. It needs to be rendered inoperative. The plug's got to get pulled on it. It starts with understanding the old self is crucified in order that the body of sin can be neutralized. The vehicle through which sin is demonstrated in our life here on earth. And when that happens, what does it say in the last part of verse 6? So that we no longer are slaves to sin. We no longer have to be slaves to sin. So it kind of looks like this. Our old self is crucified so that our body of sin is neutralized, is rendered powerless, so that we're no longer slaves to sin. It is a logical flow to what Paul is saying here on how to live the Christian life. Now, what does it mean to be a slave to sin? Well, again, we'll get in that in Romans chapter 7. The good I want to do, I don't do. Why did I say that again? Why do I open my big mouth? Why, where did that anger come from? Why, why, why did I struggle with this? Enslavement to sin. What Paul is saying is, we don't have to live that way as a Christian. We do not have to live that way because we're different people. And he emphasizes that in verse 7 again. For he who has died is freed from sin. And by the way, for those of you who want to dig a little deeper, that word freed is the very same word that he's used multiple times in Romans. It's the word to justify, justification. We've been set free. We have been declared free of this. And so he goes on in verse 8 and explains this further. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. It's the logical conclusion. Knowing, verse 9, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Death no longer is our master. We are set free because of our identification with Christ. So all Paul is saying is, I want to give you some facts that are true about who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. So know it and believe it so that you can experience it. So that you don't have to live in spiritual blindness because this truth has been known for, to us for 2,000 years, written down in Scripture. Now all this, I think, is tied back to at the very beginning of the book of Romans, and this was months ago, but do you remember the, in this opening chapter these theme verses where Paul wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. What is Paul saying? I, I, I am not ashamed of this gospel. What is the gospel? It's this truth that Jesus died and he rose again. The facts that he died, was buried, and he rose again. And Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of that message. You know why? Because it's powerful. It, is the, it unleashes the power of God unto salvation, deliverance, freedom. Not just from the penalty of sin. Praise God, a believer in Jesus Christ is going to heaven. Because Jesus paid for our sin. That good news of Jesus' death and resurrection that good news, when it's believed, sets us free from the penalty of sin, and God will welcome us into His presence. I, aren't you glad of that, by the way? Aren't you glad that some sin you're going to commit 10 years from now, when you stand before God then one day and He opens up His books and He says, oh, ooh, oh, wait a minute, on, you know, on, you know, May whatever, 2020 or 2021, you did this, and I, I'm sorry, you just crossed the line, you can't come into my presence. It's paid for by the blood of Christ. You tell me one thing you can do that would cause God to renege on His promise of the free gift of eternal life. Oh, Mark, you're going to encourage people to go out and live in sin. No, I'm not. That's preposterous. Because if you do want to continue in sin, watch out, because the Father is going to whack you good. He spanks. He spanks really well. That's what He does in love. He disciplines us. But you see, we're new in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. This is reality. That's the gospel message. It delivers us. It frees us. But what does it also deliver us from? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation, deliverance. It frees us from sin's dominating control. We are no longer slaves to sin. It is we, we've been separated. The old nature is gone. We've been saved, delivered. We've been delivered and saved from the consequences of that sin. What were the consequences? Verse 18, chapter 1, the wrath of God, this goes way back to January or February when we're teaching this, but the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and sinfulness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Remember God's wrath? It's against all sin, even my sin. What was the wrath of God? All right, Mark, you want to live that way? When you have newness of life? When you don't have to live that way? You want to still coddle that sin? And God does this, all right? And he pulls back, as it were, his restraining grace, and we fall headlong into the yuckiness. The spiritual term, the theological term is death. That's what sin It's a separation from all that God has planned for us. There are Christians born again, head into heaven, with a solid heartbeat and a good pulse and low blood pressure, walking around dead, experiencing the life of deadness and not the fullness of the life of Christ because they don't know or have forgotten the fact that sin no longer reigns. How shall we who have died to sin continue to live in it? Knowing this, our old self is crucified with him 
so that now this body of sin, which is the vehicle through which the lusts of the flesh and, and all this sin that's still there can draw us away from God, this body of sin can be neutralized, rendered inoperative. And what's the end result? So that we are no longer slaves to sin. So what are we supposed to do here? I just heard this message. What are we supposed to do? Verse 11, even so, consider yourselves, it's an accounting term, reckon it to be true, weigh the facts, understand it, and then reckon this to be true, accept it to be true. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's the two great truths. Dead to sin, but alive to God. So you look back again at verse 4, that last little phrase in verse 4, we've been raised up with Christ so that we too might walk in newness of life. See, the moment we trust Christ as our personal Savior, newness of life, that's our birthright, folks, as a believer. That's our birthright, newness of life. Out with the old, in with the new. Sin ain't going to reign no more. I'm free. The king's sin is broken. Old nature of sin, it's been severed. I've died to that. Newness of life is now my heritage. It's my birthright. But am I walking in it? Am I living in it? Is it my daily experience to walk in newness of life? And folks, this is where the, the thing called the Christian life gets exciting because the, do, we, do we really know what the newness of life is? Let me read a little bit to you what, what it consists of. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Fruit of the Spirit is, here it is, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no inhibition. There is nothing restraining the full exercise of those things in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Newness of life. We don't have to live like we once did because we're not the people we once were. Newness of life. We can walk in that. That can be our life daily experience because it's been secured for us through the work of Jesus Christ. And at the moment of faith, we were placed in Christ, hidden in Him. And whatever is true of Jesus is true of us all, if we know Him. I think sometimes as believers in Jesus Christ, I'll speak for myself, but I can get awfully content with kind of a subpar Christian living. God has given us the 10 experience. And I can content myself with sometimes a three, a little do today. I'm satisfied. You know, Lisa and I have been married 43 years. We've got a good relationship. We've got four children that all know the Lord and love the Lord and spouses that love the Lord. And we've got nine grandkids that are the most intelligent and good-looking. They'll beat any one of your grandkids, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, okay, so I struggle with an anger issue once in a while. Yeah. Or, okay, lustful thoughts. Oh, all right, you know, but 
Look, I'm content with a three. That's like God is saying, what? I like how C.S. Lewis, we've quoted him before, how how he worded it in his book, Weight of Glory. He said, we're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. And then he says, we are far too easily pleased. Far too easy to please with a level three Christian experience. What? God would say. Don't you know your life is hidden with Christ? Don't you know that immeasurable joy and love and peace and patience and, 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 and the life of Christ is, can exude through you, can be your life experience on a daily basis? Don't you know it? Can you believe it, says Paul? Can you experience it? Rose Crawford was able to see again after 50 years. At age 54, her life was changed. How different it might have been at 34 when this procedure was first enacted. Do we really know, do we really believe, are we really experiencing what it means? It ain't going to rain no more. I'm no longer enslaved to sin. I'm new. I had a discussion with my older son this week. He stopped over and he said, hey, Dad, I, I think you missed the boat last week on your sermon. I said, oh, kid, I brought you in the world, I can take you out. But he explained, he said, you know, all of this is true. But there's maybe a reason why we don't know it. And maybe it just has to do with we haven't gotten on our face before God and in humbleness and brokenness begged Him to reveal this and make it make sense to us. Folks, I don't want us to walk out of this room today just having heard another sermon. I am not here to tickle your ears or entertain you. This word of God is given to change our life so that we can walk in newness of life. And my son just said, you know, Dad, just remind yourself and remind the people. Let's get out of here and let's just beg God, make this clear to me. Help me to understand it so that I will no longer be content with level three Christian living. And whether I'm a 10-year-old or a 17-year-old or a 60-year-old or a 93-year-old, I can run this race with endurance, fixing my eyes on Jesus and experiencing all the fullness that has been given to me because my life is hidden with Christ. Would you bow your head, please? And Father, God, that's what we ask right now. Help us to understand these truths. Help us to have that spiritual encounter, Father, right now through the 
the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit to, to give us a, a, one of those aha moments where we walk out of here encouraged that I'm new. <laughs> Encourage our hearts, but then I pray, Father, also, I pray for each one of us that there will be a holy discontent with living a subpar, abnormal Christian life. <laughs> and we will experience that which you have designed for us to be the normal experience of the fullness of the life of Christ, abundant joy in your presence, set free from the enslavement of sin, living out the truthfulness of who we are as a blood-bought child of God and being reminded all along it's all because of grace. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.